Welcome back everyone to season four of the Kelly Mental Health Podcast located in Thunder Bay, Ontario. Throughout this season, CEO Linda Kelly will be chatting with people from many walks of life across the world about a variety of mental health and wellness topics. Please keep in mind that this is not a substitution for counseling. If you would like to talk to a licensed therapist, please visit us at www.kellymentalhealth.com. Welcome back to a special edition of the Kelly Mental Health Podcast. I'm Linda Kelly with a very special guest and a very gracious guest, Anne Antonucci. Gracious, I say, because we already recorded once and my computer um, decided to betray me and we lost it. So Anne has offered to come back on and tell her story. And now we also have a new addition with us today, uh, a little bean that's in my, my hand here. So we're going to hope she stays nice and quiet. So Anne, welcome. Thank you. Appreciate right. it. Yeah. So one of the, you know, we talked about so many things last time we were together. And of course, over the times that we have uh, hung out, uh, you've got so much advocacy work behind you. You work in nonprofit. You had these, you know, incredible personal stories that you wanted to share. And one was, of course, uh, about um, pregnancy loss as well as raising a, a child with special needs during a pandemic. Oh, yes. Yeah. The full life. Yeah. So <laughs> where do you want to start? I, wa- I want to hear everything. <laughs> hmm. Well, it all kind of connects really, I think, gets back to having child loss. Um, I just been married, you know, nothing wrong, perfectly healthy, perfectly happy, conceived within a normal time you know, certainly not for lack of trying as newlyweds and conceived, found out it was a baby girl. Again, totally normal pregnancy. I didn't feel great, but you know, who does when they're pregnant? Anybody who says they felt magical the whole time is lies. (laughs) So I just want to point that out. Some worse (laughs) than others, me being one of them. Um, You know, everything was going fine. I started to feel kind of you know, crappy near the end, but it was also a summer where it was plus 40 pretty much every single day. And she was due first week of September. So, you know, I was heavily pregnant in August to the place, my workplace didn't have air conditioning. So my doctor took me off work. So having no kids at the time, I put my feet up, got pedicures every week and lived the life. And then the day before her due date, I started to feel some back pain. So I thought, oh, here we go. Never been pregnant, of course. And then I realized I hadn't really felt her move much. She was a very, very big girl, big girl. Um, But I didn't think anything of it. So I went to the hospital, explained the situation, explained, you know, my back pain and that I could time it. And I hadn't felt movement in a while. And I was overheated. And they did it. They, you know, popped my shirt up and put the jelly on and we're looking for heartbeat to figure out where she was, whether they had to, you know, prep for a C-section or what, and they couldn't find a heartbeat. So they kept trying, they kept trying, they, you know, went and got a new one. And then when the second one still didn't work, that's when they knew for sure. So they ran and got a doctor, the doctor came, the doctor tried also, and then they told us that she had passed away, that there was no heartbeat, there was no movement. They, however, still had to do an ultrasound to confirm it legally. So they did an ultrasound and 
clear as day. She was head down as she had been two weeks ago when I had my last ultrasound and um, she had passed. So we discussed it. Do we do a C-section? And so Mark and I discussed it. Um, you know, were we willing to try again? And right away, both of us were like, we need to try again. So then the discussion was, if you have a C-section, you have to wait much longer to even consider conceiving. So mentally, mental health wise, can, can we wait? Or if you go through labor, assuming you don't end up in a C-section, you know, you wait the normal six weeks and then you wait, you know, maybe a cycle or two to make sure everything's working properly and then good to go. Right. So we chose that route, but that means of course, that you have to go through labor. You can't be knocked out. If you have a C-section and you have a stillborn, they will knock you out because what's, what's the point. Right. right. And just between those two time, time frames, what did they tell you for C-section, the waiting time afterwards? Uh, They had told me that I'd have to wait three healthy cycles plus the recovery of a C-section before I could start. So whatever you would normally, a normal woman healthy would have to recover from a C-section. Then on top of that, three healthy cycles. Wow. That's actually even... Yeah, it's a that's that's like a good year almost. That's that's half of a year for sure. And then mm-hmm. after that, you start trying. Right. It doesn't mean you're going to get pregnant on the first try, right? Mm-hmm. So, or in our case, you know, I I had labor. It was a good labor, not a big issue. Less than 24 hours. Had epidurals. Had the whole shoot and match. Gave birth as normal. You know, six weeks. Had two healthy cycles, and then. We tried again. Um, so we got pregnant on the second try. We got pregnant with Nathan, my eldest child. Again, no problems with the pregnancy. Healthy pregnancy. Obviously, mentally, we were terrified. Every time I couldn't, poor kid was pounded on the outside so many times. And <laughs> I drank so much juice just to make sure. If he didn't yeah. move for like an hour, I was like, okay, let's go. I was constantly, I actually took off work at 30 weeks because I couldn't handle the stress anymore of worrying and concentrating on my job. So I was at labor delivery almost every day, you know, being like, okay, he hasn't moved in two hours, do something. So they put the belt on and be like, oh yeah, everything's fine. Okay. And then I'd leave. Um, So yeah, so I had Nathan, everything was fine. Everything went well, recovered very nicely. Breastfeeding went well. Again, only have one kid. So, you know, living the dream. Um, He slept well. Once we got over the first couple of weeks of breastfeeding, not an issue. And he loved to eat. So I lost all my baby weight within the first four months. So, and then as soon as I could work out, I started doing baby boot camp. So like I was living, it was the perfect maternity leave. It was fantastic. (laughs) You know, and then everything continued from there too. Like everything was fine. And then we started thinking about our second one. We're like, okay. So we got pregnant very easily with Zachary. Same thing. Then I started to notice that things just, Nathan wasn't catching up to his peers. You know, lots of kids are behind. That's fine. You know, boys, especially boys do talk later. Boys do develop um, emotionally later, physically earlier. Um, so we always chalked it up to that. And my husband's not what you call the most talkative guy. 
So we were like, okay, well, he takes after him and not after me. Okay. But then he wasn't catching up. I noticed from, I had a group of moms at that time who we all had kids within a four month time period of each other. So they were all the same. We were all hitting the developed milestones at the same time. And then Nathan wasn't anymore. Okay. So we went to the doctors. We did, we, we filled out all these questionnaires about, you know, does your child do this? Does your child not do that? And in our case, everything was no. So we were like, okay, okay. And then I had Zachary. And Nathan, the few words that he had, he stopped using. Stopped using, started doing something that we call sensory seeking. So now, okay, something's not right. Something is wrong. I don't want to say wrong. That's not the right term, but it's the best word that I can think to describe it. It's not right. Let's put it that way. Things aren't going right. So now we're dealing with the fact that I've lost a child. We don't know why we lost that child. We, we probably will never know why Juliana, her name was Juliana, why she passed away. We have no idea. We know what it wasn't. And now here I have my next pregnancy. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, you screwed that up too, right? Because there is no reason why a kid has autism. Nobody knows the reason. Some say it's genetic, some say it's environmental, some, you know, of course, there's the whack jobs with the vaccination, which by the way, I do not agree with. My kids are vaccinated and the second they can get the COVID vaccine, they will be getting the COVID vaccine. So yeah, and if we have to take the COVID vaccine every year for the rest of our lives, we will do that. So, but there is a large, and I get why parents hold on to that because there is no other reason and autism the signs of it start to show around the time when you have a certain when you have the mrna vaccine Mm -hmm. so i get it like how else do you explain it um it used to be that they used to blame the mom it was a term called fridge refrigerator moms it was that we were cold and we were not loving enough. And that's why our children retreated. That That's what it was in the 60s and 70s and even into the 80s. That was wow. the thing. Now there's studies that show as genetic, but the, the research is so low. So when you're a mom, you're supposed to fix everything for your kids, right? That's your job. You're supposed to protect them. So first, it, again, this is my mind, right? First, I couldn't protect my daughter. And now I can't fix my son, right? And now I have another son who, I don't know, does he at this time? Now, by about four months, I was like, no, there's no way this kid has autism because I could already see the differences. Mm -hmm. But that's like where your mind goes because there's no explanation for these two things that have happened. There how do you reconcile that? And so as a mom, you automatically are like, okay, well, there you, you, you know, you screwed the pooch twice. Good for you kind of thing. Right. And, and two, like Nathan, there's, there's different varying degrees of the spectrum when it comes to autism, Mm -hmm. there's the Sheldon Cooper autism. And then there's the Nathan autism, the autism that nobody talks 
the boat once they become teenagers. Like right now, it's still okay. He's cute. He's eight. He's still small enough. He's not going to cause any major damage. If he has a meltdown, you can just chalk it up. If you don't know me to a kid, just having a bad day with obvious issues. But once he becomes a teenager and starts growing facial hair and we start dealing with that sort of thing, it's not cute anymore. Once he's out of school, it's like, it's not cute anymore. He's not the kind of cute autism. He's not the kind who, yeah, might have issues, but can sit down at the piano and play you a beautiful melody. He's not the kid who's just awkward. He's not just the weird kid. So those ones, not that it's easy, they can, they tend to be able to mesh somehow into society with lots of helps. Kids like mine, they don't. He's going to require 24-7 care for the rest of his life for his own safety and for others. Mm -hmm. So far, he's not violent. So far, we don't have massive meltdowns. But he's going to get stronger. He's going to hit puberty. Right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I'm always sort of questioned by people because I... I don't want to say drag him out, but I drag him out. I make him, we go and we do things. We go for hikes. So you follow me on social media. You see, we go for hikes. We go for things. We go to restaurants. We go, we do it with the knowledge that we may have to cut this short at any time. And that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. We do every family event. We do all of it, which is exhausting. But I think it's important both for Nathan because. Mark and I are his main caregivers, but we're not going to be around forever. So he has to be used to other people. Mm-hmm. Also, society needs to like get over it. You know, mm-hmm. kids like me can exist. And there's so many parents who have autistic kids. They hide in their house because it's hard. It's so hard to do it mm-hmm. that, you know, unless you're with a group of other moms so you know for example when it's not a pandemic um autism ontario locally has a lot of events so they rent out a movie theater so we can all go to movie theater and nobody looks sideways at us when nathan decides he needs to run in the front but again like why do we have to do that is it that big of a deal to you like mm-hmm. if he's disturbing other people by all means yes i take him out but you're also disturbing me too by eating like your popcorn super loud. So <laughs> like, or by deciding at the exact moment when it's silent on screen and the two actors are giving a loving look, you decide that's the time that you're going to unwrap your candy bar. Like, <laughs> you know, we, we all yeah. got to live together. Right. Well, so, you know, it's interesting though. Cause I, I recall in high school, there were some nonverbal kids that, um, you know, they always usually had a one-on-one caregiver or at least they were in the special needs class, but we had no idea. We had no frame of reference for what is, what is up with this kid? You know, what's the story? What do I expect? We, nobody talked about it. That's right. And that's one of the things that I push for, for my son. Now it doesn't work for every kid, but in my case, Nathan does like being around people. He is very social. He's just not social, mm-hmm. but he likes being around people. He doesn't like being alone. So I push very hard for integration for Nathan. Having a special needs class is not beneficial to him. He might as well be staying at home. 
So for Nathan, when it's again, not COVID, he attends class with his peers and he has been with the same classmates since JK. So they all know him. So when it comes time for academics, he's in grade three and in grade three academics gets a lot more. It's not, it's not play-based learning anymore. They take him out and they work one-to-one with him on life skills, on um, simple tasks and that sort of thing. They have a whole program for him. When it's non-academic stuff, he is with his class. So he's with his class for gym. He's with his class for lunchtime, all meals. He's with his class for recess. He's with them for music, attendance, story time, all of that. But when they sit down to do the nitty gritty work, it would be useless for him to be sitting there while they're, you know, discussing things. So he goes out and does his thing and then he comes back. So not to say I had to push hard for that. Um, That tends to be what the Catholic school board does. They don't have classes that are special needs. They do in high school because high school is a little different Mm -hmm. um, for the academic stuff. But in elementary school, their theory is integration. And really, it's really good for the other kids in the class too to see things. And they all know Nathan now. They've known him since JK. That's just Nathan. They play with him in his own way. They, they learn about him. Nathan now has a device that helps him speak. So he learned how to use it through school. So all the other kids watched him learn how to use it. Oh, so, that's really cool. Right. So it's really good for the kids too, because kids are curious, right? And not all parents are um, good at explaining things. Because really the looks I get out in public aren't from other kids. Like they might look at Nathan kind of oddly like, oh, well, why is Nathan sitting there eating grass? But they don't really care. They're like, oh, okay. The parents and the adults are the ones who are giving you the side eye or being like, oh, um, are you sure this is appropriate? There's location for it? Like that sort of thing. It's them, but they're the ones who teach the kids. So I think it's so important for the kids to have that integration And that's one of the things I advocate for. And you mentioned it at the top about advocacy. So the reason why I do so much advocacy work, um, just to sort of list them all off, I'm on the Special Education Advisory Committee for the Lakehead Public Board. I'm the vice chair. I sit on the local Ontario Autism um, Planning Committee uh, locally. I am on the City of Thunder Bay Accessibility Advisory Committee. My role is to advise in for the community of parents or guardians with a child with a disability. And then also just, and I also sit on the Community Living Thunder Bay Board. So why do I do all that? Well, first of all, I enjoy that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm a policy and political nerd, but I... Nathan's a lot. His, he needs a lot of help. He needs a lot of training and whoever works with him needs a lot of training. So I have all that. That's great. But I can't be his therapist. I tried and it was detrimental to my mental health and it was detrimental to him and it was detrimental to the mental health of the household. Mm. I can't do it. But what I can do is advocate for him first and foremost but also advocate for other parents. Cause if I'm going through it, other parents are going through it too. So for example, with the city of Thunder Bay, I have advocated for better signage at the COVID testing locations. 
um, for putting up pecs so that kids know where to go, that sort of thing. I've advocated for social stories to be distributed to all the kids who get tested for COVID, whether they're special needs or not. So they know what they're going through, will know what's going to happen. And I'm working on putting together ones for vaccinations because that's of course next. Um, I've advocated for better bathrooms in all of the city facilities because quite often special needs kids, they aren't toilet trained or if they are, it's not very good. And it's hard to change a kid standing up mm -hmm. in the bathroom. I've also advocated for better education in city facilities when you're bringing in your son into the women's change room, because my son will never go into the men's change room mm -hmm. unless he's with his father. And it's very seldom that he is when it comes to doing yes. activities. And not every place has family washrooms. Yeah. If we have a family washroom, by all means, we use those. But like Churchill Pool, for example, I have to bring him to the women's. He's eight years old. You know, that gets awkward. But better signage, better education, that sort of thing. So that's the kind of stuff I advocate for. Mm -hmm. um, I also am politically active with our local MPs to make sure they know about um, our feelings as autistic parents for legislation, for anything of that side. Mm -hmm. There was uh, so much uh, stuff in the media about uh, funding for autism being cut. Mm -hmm. How did that yes. affect parents? So, so far we're not affected by it. So there's three different streams right now. So with the former government, the liberal government underneath McGinty and then Kathleen Wynne, they started a program called the Ontario Autism Program. So what that did was that gave the funding towards the schools and the agencies and had then them work with the parents to make that program. So that's great. But of course, that creates wait lists, especially in Northwestern Ontario. We don't have the education power. We don't have any of that kind of thing here. We're years, we're at least 10 years away from having enough people qualified to do that. Mm -hmm. um, Southern Ontario is a little different. But that means a lot of people were on the wait list. And that's not good. We were only on the wait list, luckily, for 18 months. But that 18 months was pretty hard um, to get anything. Mm -hmm. So then we got into the program. So we are considered a legacy family. We are still in the Ontario Autism Program. Um, we just keep getting extended because they don't know what else to do with us, in short, because we live in northern Ontario. So we keep going with that. So the other programs are, there's a one-time funding that you get one time and you're to use that until your child is old enough to do passport, which is when you turn 18, you roll into the adult program. So the big problem with that was, although the Ford government did to their credit, put way more money into the program than the previous governments, they simply handed parents money. Okay. So with tight restrictions as to what you could spend it on. That's great. If you live in a city where, if you live in a city or a region where you can get these services, if you live north of Sudbury, you're not, it's not happening. You're going to be on wait lists again. It's just not happening. Um, a couple of companies have opened up in the north, but again, it, you can't have more than one kid with one therapist. So I, I believe I said once in a social media post, you know, that's great. But 
what's going to happen is it's going to be downloaded onto the schools. The schools don't have the training. The schools don't have the funds. So every time that that kid acts up or that kid has a meltdown, one of the parents is going to be called to remove them from the school. So eventually one of those parents is going to have to quit their job. This is just how it's going to work. And now that parent's going to be on social assistance. So you just cost more money. Wow. Right? Like if you think about the long-term math, yes, at this exact second, fantastic. You put X amount of million dollars into the program, great. But to just throw money at us, okay, what do I do with this money? I can't even buy respite services. Yeah, then it's just disorganized, right? Yeah, it's very disorganized. And it put, it it almost was like the government said, okay, here you go, gone. Now it's not their problem, right? So they just put a line in the budget every year that X amount of money is going to go to parents with autistic children under the age of 18 once they've been diagnosed. And that's it. They don't have to do anything else. So, and then of course, COVID happened, right? So we can't do in-person things. We just started doing in-person things in the fall. Mm-hmm. And luckily they continued that with lots of PPE protection. Mm-hmm. God bless them for doing that. Cause at the beginning of the pandemic, we had nothing. Um, it's still not great right now with the current shutdown. My son is allowed to attend, which is a great addition to what they had before because before we had nothing uh he's allowed to attend school full-time three days a week so he goes and does his regularly scheduled programming at school now as i mentioned earlier during the non-academic stuff he would be with his peers so his peers aren't there so what they do is they log on to it with the smart board and he participates as best he can with his peers virtually so canada gym class art all that stuff. And then when they step aside to do the other learning, he then has his one-to-one person there. He still does recess. He does nutritional break. So those days it's our house is fairly happy. The other days of the week, it's not good. Mm -hmm. Were you on, you were still on a maternity leave when COVID hit? Yes, I was. (laughs) Yeah. So Alexander was born in August of 2019. So my middle child started school that fall. So I was thinking that my maternity leave was going to be like living the dream <laughs> because my k- older kids were going to be in school until three o'clock every day and then have their activities at night. So I was like, fantastic. So, and Alexander wasn't the greatest sleeper at the beginning. And I had a lot of health issues after he was born. So it worked out really well. And then once I got over his health issues, like I was, I was dropping the kids off at school and then I was going to the gym and Alexander went to the daycare and like, it was fantastic. (laughs) And Yeah. So now I'm home. My husband's working from home, but he's working from home. So he's in the basement. And so I'm home with a six month old. I'm home with an autistic seven-year-old and I'm home with a very angry and confused four-year-old. Yeah. And it was winter. So we couldn't even like kick us, kick us outside. Now we could, cause Alex old enough, but at that time he was six months old. Like, what am I going to do? Like put him in a snowbank? Like, mm-hmm. and I don't do winter, I hate winter. <laughs> so we were stuck inside. 
And we couldn't do our normal things. We couldn't go wander around the mall. You know, we couldn't. One thing Nathan loves to do is he likes movements. So, you know, I would be able to stick him in a um, shopping cart. He would sit in the front. Zach walks. And then the baby goes in the front part and, you know, go up and down every aisle of Walmart. Mm -hmm. Can't do that now you know, at that time. And now again, I can't because stay at home orders. So at least now I have the break of work, but at the beginning, no. And also it was scary. Like I have a six month old. Yeah. I have parents who have health issues, so I couldn't rely on them. I couldn't catch a break because there was nowhere to go and hide. Mm -hmm. Right. Like uh, normally my hiding places were winners, chapters, <laughs> yeah. the gym, you know, um, all of that, like going down into the basement, it isn't always a break because I can still hear everyone. Mm -hmm. And also all I can see is mess. So I'm like, well, now I need to clean this <laughs> sitting there staring at it. And I'm like, well, I might as well just clean. So, you know, it's not that break especially at the beginning, because it was the dead of winter. It's dark at six o'clock. So it's not like I could go for a walk in the dark, in the snow. Again, mm -hmm. I hate winter. Mm -hmm. so, so yeah. And there were no supports. There were no supports for us. Nobody could come and support us. We still got our weekly respite, but that was not enough. And mm -hmm. couldn't even call like, you know, grandma to come over. Yeah. And then of course, you, yeah, well, you mentioned you can't be their therapist. You can't be Nathan's therapist, but then no. in the midst of this, what happens? Well, it all falls on you guys. Exactly. Exactly. So he regressed greatly. Yeah. Uh, we started doing zoom check-ins, which at first was supposed to be therapy for Nathan, but it evolved into therapy for me. So <laughs> where we just talk, I had, she, he had that time, a wonderful therapist named Chelsea and she, we would just talk it out. And quite often we would even talk about my other son, Zachary, you know, how to engage him, how to keep him busy. So, cause he was, his way of dealing with everything was anger and he still has it. And the anger of course was directed at me and my husband because he can't direct it at anyone else. So it was our fault. It's mm -hmm. our fault he can't play hockey. It's our fault he can't go see his friends. It's our fault he can't go to school. It's our fault that he can't go to the ice cream shop, it, you know, so on and so forth. And at the very beginning, we didn't let him go anywhere, even with a mask, because we were, we didn't know. Like, we know more now, and I feel comfortable with Zachary wearing a mask. Plus, at school, they had them wearing masks, so he's used to it. But at the very beginning there, there was no way my kid was going anywhere other than my car the park or my house mm -hmm. just, I wasn't going to take the chance because I did not know enough about COVID to risk it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what what did you or how did it feel uh the pressure that get, gets put on the parents to sort of you know keep all the kids on the same learning track and development like, what was your experience like in that it was hard um for example, I had, I, I was feeling constantly overwhelmed. And this is not to say that I don't have a partner. Both of us were feeling overwhelmed, but for different reasons. You know, for me, I, I am definitely a feminist, but I'm also 
I guess I still have in my brain the, the gender roles. So to me, I don't, I don't make a ton of money. I work in not for profit. You don't do that for money <laughs> at all. You do it for love. Yeah. So to me, I see it as, okay, yes, I'm working full time. And yes, I'm doing important work. But I'm not making the money. I'm not paying the bills. If I didn't have a job, it, it probably wouldn't make a huge dent in our lifestyle. It would be more for me. I wouldn't be able to buy my the good quality makeup. I'd be buying, you know, dollar store. <laughs> so, you know, that really... So I always say, okay, I'm not paying the bills. I'm not, I'm not contributing. I don't see myself as contributing, even though I am. I see that my role then needs to be, okay, I got to keep the house clean. I've got to be the household manager. I've got to make sure that the kids have the correct clothes, have that they're, oh, they're starting to grow out. I have to be ready. So I put that on myself. Nobody else puts it on. I do. And then on top of that, you know, be a good wife, you know, have a relationship, have a friend, have friendships, be a good mother, work out, eat healthy, make sure you meal prep, work full time. Um, you get, get six hours of sleep, drink your gallon of water and uh, have a, maintain a clean household. <laughs> so That's not sustainable. Totally <laughs> sustainable. <laughs> Let's throw in a special needs child and a newborn. Well, he's not newborn anymore, but now he's a toddler. Yeah. So lots of just pressure and overwhelmedness to which then either I would lash out in anger, normally, usually towards my poor husband, or I would become very sorry for myself. Pity parties a lot. Or I'd eat my feelings. So, right. Yeah. I, I've heard a lot of people talk about the resentment that they've gone through. Um, and they're not, you know, it's not like they're blaming anyone. They're not blaming no. the kids, not blaming the partners, but just no. feeling so resentful of time that's been lost, opportunities that have been lost. Um, this, this was not how things were supposed to go. And, and there's a grief right. in that. I think I say that a lot, actually, even before the pandemic and it's, it's something that there's no answer to. Like, this isn't how it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to have a daughter and I don't. Like, it, this is how it's supposed to be. I, I read a quote somewhere that losing a child, especially when they're young, you're not just losing a child, you're losing a dream. You're losing a life. You're losing what could have been and what should have been. Mm -hmm. So when I was pregnant with my daughter, like I'm a girly girl. I love pink. I love clothes. I have a niece who dances. I used to dance. You know, I like to get my nails done. I get my hair done. I do my eyebrows. Like I take care of myself. So I was like, okay, like, you know, I was, you have these visions of, um, you know, at Christmas time buying the dresses with like the, uh, the late, the little tights that are like you know, the little velvet dresses and going to Santa and, you have these visions of first dance recital with, you know, the outrageously big tutu that <laughs> four-year-olds, like that they're drowning in, you know, and they don't do anything on stage. They just stand there and pick their nose. But like you, you have these visions of being a dance mom or, or a cheer mom or a gymnastics mom or even a hockey mom. She would have played hockey. My husband coaches hockey. So you have all these visions. You have the visions of, you know, 
of helping her buy her prom dress, her wedding dress, of her father walking her down the aisle. You know, I'll never be the mother of the bride. I will always be the mother-in-law. God help those children. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure how I'm going to be. But, you know, I'll never have that. And so then, okay, fine. I'm a mom of three boys. Okay, cool. You know, hockey mom, put my pin on there with my kid's face on it. And I will be the loudest, most obnoxious hockey mom. (laughs) I don't have that with Nathan. I always thought, okay, when I got pregnant and I was disappointed that it wasn't a girl, but then I was like, okay, boy, mom, let's do it. Okay. Dirty clothes and and farts and frogs and rocks in my washing machine. All of that. Okay, fine. But I don't have that with Nathan either. Like this isn't how it's supposed to be. He's going to be living with, he, he's never going to get married. He's never going to move out. He's never, I'm never going to help him buy his first house. I'm never going to have, he's never going to have children. So I'm not going to have that with him. He will be with me until I die. He will be living with us in some form. That's not how it's supposed to be. I'm not supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. So um, that I get, it's very resentful and you, you get angry. And the thing is, like you said, there's no one to blame. I have no one to blame for this. I can't, I can't be like, oh, well, he had a car. Somebody hit him with a car and that's why he's brain damaged. Well, no, like, no, nothing went wrong. So who do I blame for this? And so it's either the whole world in general, or it's me. So there's, that's the only two options I have for who, who I need to be angry at. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So it's awful, you know, with grief, it's something we talk about all the time. It's the hardest thing to deal with because it just is, there is no why there is no reason there's, you know, people always want the simple minimalist Mm -hmm. kind of explanation, but, uh, there is nothing that's going to make it. Okay. It's going to go. Even if you could say to me, you know what, Juliana died because she got an infection. Yeah. And that's why she passed away. Okay. Well, why did she get the infection? Why? Oh, because I did something wrong. Okay. Well, then it's my fault. Like, you know what I mean? So, or if it does come out someday, you know, 20, 30 years from now with research, oh, you know, Nathan has autism because of the cleaning products you used. Okay. Well, that's my fault. I should have used vinegar, even though vinegar, I'm sorry, does not, does not clean. It doesn't smells like clean French fries anything. all the time. <laughs> vinegar doesn't clean anything. No, sorry. Well, rant. No, just no. Rant. I, and I, you know, I just want to say, you know, I, I've, I've worked in mental health for a very long time. I still work in mental health. And when you first told me about your experience losing your baby, even I wanted to know, well, there's got to be some why? reason why give me, yeah. give me a why, because if you give me a why, maybe I can feel safe. Cause I was pregnant at the time that I knew what had happened with you. And so, yeah, it's the same. It's sort of a safety net. You know, if I can just avoid that one thing, maybe I have some control, but it's well, scary not having control. Oh, pregnancy. You have no control. You have to give up control because you can do everything right. I had a friend who at the time when I lost Juliana, she wasn't interested in any time getting pregnant, but it was always there someday. Right. And we went out for dinner afterwards and she was like, you know what? She's like, it's very scary that 
you went through this because you do everything right. Like you did all the research, you read all the right books, you didn't do drugs, you didn't drink, you didn't smoke, you actually weren't even around people who smoked. You ate the right foods, although, you know, I definitely indulged, but you know. This one's like 80% potato. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Bacon is pretty much all sour cream and onion chips. Which, oddly enough, just what his favorite snack is, salty treats. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Right? So, you know, I did everything. And she was like, you did everything right. Like, girl, women like you aren't supposed to lose children. Mm. You're not supposed to. It's supposed to be the girls who do drugs. It's supposed to be the woman who's being domestically. Not to say they deserve to lose a child. I, I don't mean it that way. I mean, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. that if you do drugs if you harm your body if you were harmed yes thing something might happen to your body but in my case none of that happened to me mm-hmm. so if it could so in her mind if it could happen to you it can happen to me mm-hmm. exactly and that's right? that's another thing where the resentment comes in because you look at people that as awful as it sounds you go why do you deserve to have a healthy kid? And I don't. Right. Yeah. But, and it's ugly to think that, but it's natural too. I remember when I was giving, so we had, we went home the night that we found out she had passed away and we came back the next morning at seven to start induction. I was already in labor, but they wanted to like move it along. So less time suffering kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I came back and there was a woman outside smoking, a pregnant woman heavily pregnant in her dressing gown. So she was like admitted to the hospital. She was most likely in labor and out there smoking. And I'm just like, really? Like why? Okay, cool. So yeah, when I being pregnant, I avoid people smoking because secondhand smoke. Mm-hmm. which is probably being paranoid and it's probably not true, but I, I do it anyway. So I'm like, okay, well, if I'm breathing it in, you know, so yeah, but you can't think that way. And so I never wanted to think that way. So I found other people to be angry at mostly myself mm-hmm. and yeah. I couldn't do therapy. I tried, I tried two separate ones, but the second you tell, especially a woman or somebody who's a father, what has happened to you, this look passes over their face and it passed over your face. When I told you passes over everyone's face. And now I feel like I got to make you feel better because again, I'm a mother. So I like, I have to make sure you're okay. Like you're okay. Okay. You're okay. Now I have to make you feel better. Right. And so of course you have to explain your story to your therapist, right? Okay. And then when I stitched, the first one didn't mesh. And then the second one, the second that look passed over her face, I was like, okay, can't do this. I can't take care of you too. We both have a mutual friend who has gone through grief recently also. Um, her and I talk about it all the time. She was on your podcast earlier, Shalini. Her and I talk about this all the time. Just like that look. And then they get this look of like pity. And almost like you can see a little bit in the back of, well, I'm glad that's not me. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And they don't mean it. Well, some of them do, but those are just jerks. (laughs) But 
you know, it's your first response when you hear, um, like, oh, oh, how do you, how do you do it? Like, that's what that means when somebody says, how do you do it? I don't know how you do it because I've never dealt with this. Mm-hmm. At least when, that's how I hear it in my brain. When somebody says, and I don't know how you do it. Right. Okay. Well, because I have to, and you don't. So what do you you think you would have needed from people as opposed to what they gave you with, you know, the look and the, that perception of the pity? I don't know. Cause I, I do it to people too. When I hear somebody has lost their husband or their mother or their father, because again, that's something I've never gone through. Yeah. I get that look too. And that's the first thing I think too, like, Oh, how do you parent without your partner there? Mm. Do that, you know? Right. And I say that too, like, I don't know how you do it. And that is the same thing. I think for me, like after I had the baby, after I lost Juliana, a lot of people wanted to give me the usual platitudes. Don't do, don't ever do that. Like, don't do that. Don't do that. Even if the person is religious, don't, don't tell them they're in a better place. Don't tell them that they were in pain. Don't like, just don't do it. Don't, especially right after maybe later on, or if I say as the person who lost somebody, like, you know, Oh, they were in pain. They're in a better place. Then yes, you can say it, but like, don't, don't assume because no, in my mind, she's not in a better place. Mm-hmm. It's incredible that those things, those statements have sort of stood the test of time, considering yeah. that they're awful. <laughs> they're awful to make. Really not. Yeah. Like, let's not in a better this. place. Oh, I'm sorry. So in my arms wasn't the best place for her. Like, is that what you're saying? Okay. Thanks. Yeah. So yeah. And it, it doesn't like, it doesn't bother me as much as it used to um, because, you know, it's been so long, but still like just every once in a while things will trigger me. Mm-hmm. Um, some things are obvious, like, you know, Christmas time, you know, you're waiting in line at Santa with my three kids and you see the little girls in their little dresses with their hair done and, you know, going for family pictures and stuff, you know, like, right. I will never do that. Cause boys clothes are boring. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Cool, cool. Cool. Same with, you know, if a family member has a baby girl, there's that moment where I'm just like, right. Okay, let me go and buy some pink stuff. So, but then on the flip side, like for example, my niece has definitely benefited from it because I don't have a little girl to buy stuff for. So she is the one that gets it all. She's a teenager now. So I have a blast buying for her because I buy (laughs) what I would have bought my daughter. So makeup or, or nail appointments or, um, you know, clothes or coffee stuff or that sort of thing, because that's what I would have done for my daughter when Mm -hmm. she turned 16. So, you know, that's kind of where I put that or I bring Shalini in it again. She has a daughter. Well, her daughter's the same age as Zachary. They're besties. So yeah, she's when, when it comes time to have birthday parties again, guess what kiddo? (laughs) <laughs> You're getting what I would have bought my daughter at that age and probably more than I should give. So, you know, that's kind of how I, I deal with that. And then of course the last week of August, every year, I'm just kind of useless to the world because that's 
when I should be planning my daughter's birthday, right? I should be doing all of that and I'm not. I should be planning something with lots of pink and cupcakes and makeup and nails. God forbid if the kid had been a tomboy, but (laughs) no, that's that in my mind, that's what I would have been planning and I'm not. So, yeah. We often want to simplify what has happened to us, even, even among ourselves. And, and of course on podcasts like this, we always want to say, well, what advice would you give to other people? And I'm not sure I could ever, you know, ask that with a straight face because it, it just, what you've gone through is part of your story and it just is. And you probably would have chosen for things to be different clearly. So Mm -hmm. it's like, you're just pushing through, but you're doing a fantastic job. Thank you. Um, (laughs) I think more like I can give advice to people what not to do with people like me. Hmm. There is that. What not to do for someone that's been through. Yeah. Been through what I, what, I've been through and am going through, you know, uh, I think I I joked earlier about we all have to live in this world. Guess what? Nathan's here. Nathan is Nathan. That's Mm -hmm. how he is. So let's work together as a society. And again, that's my advocacy work that he needs to be included. And even if he can't be included because he can't do those things, he needs to be accepted that he's always going to be there. And that's just how it is. So that doesn't mean I'm going to let him destroy things. I will definitely make sure he is removed when things get rough. But to a certain point, he has every right to be walking down that street that you're walking down. Like, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And when it comes to somebody who's lost a child, first of all, there's no pain Olympics. Um, Physically pain, yes. I went through more pain then and I apologize using your example. You lost a child. Mm-hmm. You lost a child much earlier than me. Mm-hmm. So physically, yes, I went through more, but emotionally I didn't. You lost a child too. I lost a child. I have a friend who lost a child at 24 weeks. She had to make the decision to terminate her pregnancy because of abnormalities. I also have a friend whose child died 10 days after he was born. You know, physically, again, I may have gone through more, but emotionally, did, is she worse off than me? I don't know. In my case, I gave birth to a child that was already dead. Mm-hmm. In her case, she got to hear her child cry. I would give anything for that to have, be able to actually like hold her alive. But then also she had to watch her baby die. Is that worse than mine? I don't know. So like I said, there's no pain Olympics. There's no, there's, there's no Olympics. There's no medal. Nobody gets a cookie at the end because you went through more than the other person. Right. Mm -hmm. And also too, like, I do have three children who are alive. Right. So does that make it worse or less? I, I, I don't have an answer for that. So yeah, don't, don't assume that I want to fix it or I want it all to go to weight because you have to also think the other way. Had Juliana survived, Zachary and Alexander wouldn't be here because we were never going to have more than two kids. 
Okay. Maybe Zachary would be here. The third might, the surprise still might have happened. But, uh, but that's the thing, right? Like, I always thought I was two and done. And I always dreamed of having a boy and a girl, right? Best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. So if I had had a boy, second, done. Like, done, right? There you go. 2.4 children and there we go dog and a picket fence and boy and a girl and there we go you've got the american dream right so yeah so i don't think there is an answer and i think you're right there is no advice but i think um if somebody if you're around somebody who's grieving especially if it's a child just sit there just sit and let them ramble Cause there were days when I wanted to talk nothing about, I didn't want to talk at all about what was going on. I wanted to talk about anything, but let's talk about the latest housewives TV show. Let's talk about the blue Jays. Let's talk about bachelor. Let's talk about everything, but let's discuss politics. Great. And then you would maybe come over the next day. And all I wanted to do was talk about what had happened and rant and rave and, and cry and want to do that. So it was very confusing with some of my friends, especially the ones who didn't have children. It was very confusing because they would come over one day and I'd be sitting there gossiping, drinking wine and like a normal girl's night in. And then the next day they'd come over and, you know, I'd be a mess. So you have to ride the, if you're willing to ride the wave with them, you have to ride that wave with them Mm -hmm. um, and just sit there. And let them talk about whatever the heck they want to talk about. Don't force them to talk about anything. Either or. Because I had friends who tried to talk about others, the other stuff. And sometimes that was great. And other times I'm like, no, like, I don't want to talk about that. You're being so disrespectful right now. Like, shut up. This is what I want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. And then other times they'd be like, well, don't, don't you think like we should like talk about? No. I want to know who I, I want to talk about that girl last night who didn't get the rose and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> That's what I want to talk about right now. Yeah. So pass the line. Let's go. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's difficult. And same with Nathan. Sometimes I want to talk about it. I want to talk about it. And I, I want to talk about advocacy and I want to complain and I want to raise my fist. And then other times I just want to talk about the fact that I have an eight year old boy, a six year old boy and, a, and an 18 month old boy. And let's just talk about how my house smells continually like pee. <laughs> like, I can't even tell you. And I don't, I can't find it. It's nowhere. It's just in my furniture and it will never come out. It's just there. Plus a dog. Mm. Sometimes I just want to talk about that. Like a normal mom. Like, let's complain about our kids and our husbands. Mm-hmm. And drink wine and eat junk food and watch crappy television in silence. Mm-hmm. so yeah well I appreciate that I appreciate your candidness and even just the vulnerability you know you have to be vulnerable to talk about stuff like this but I think it helps for other people to hear that someone out there has experienced this and all of those crazy emotions ups downs even feeling okay about it all mm-hmm. you know that it's okay about normal. it yeah that's humor is um one of my go-tos. I'm a sarcastic person, so don't be alarmed. Oh, you, you really like my children. I, I swear. <laughs> I swear. 
<laughs> Thank you so much for uh, coming on again and, and talking to me about this. I'm going to upload it right away. So by Thursday, okay. so it should be up and uh, yeah, we will, uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Someday we'll see each other and I'll get to squeeze your nugget. <laughs> <laughs> She's very squeezable. Okay. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye.